We have a special guest this morning. I'm going to have Mike Horton, uh, leader of our missions committee, come on up and introduce our guest speaker this morning. Good morning. 14 years ago, I believe it's 14 years ago, we were introduced to a little school in uh, in the midst of the Arab world um, as evidence that uh, nothing Satan can do can stop his word from going out forth. Uh, Dr. Ahmad Shahada um, is president and founder of uh, JETS, Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. All right. Uh, fast. JETS is a lot easier. Um, but uh, we've gotten to know him the last couple, 24 hours just about. Um, and uh, he's here to um, present our message this morning and also during Sunday school give us an update. Ahmad? This is great. It's good to be here. Fourteen and a half years it's been. That's a long time. It's felt such a privilege to be here to speak from the pulpit. And thank you, Jason, for this privilege. Uh, Anytime the pastor gives up his pulpit, he must be really humble or brave or both. (laughs) So that's great. Um, Last time when I was here, Julia, my wife, was with me. So she's not, uh, unfortunately, but she... I bring you her greetings to you. Um, I uh, ask you to bear with me as on my way from the Middle East, I somehow caught a sinus infection. And uh, I'm thankful to Michael and Karen for taking me to the doctor yesterday to be sure of the diagnosis and the medication needed. So uh, bear with me. Also, bear with me as I translate from my in my mind from Arabic to English and then from my English to your English. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And what we'll do this morning is uh, first we'll begin with an exposition from scriptures. And then during the Sunday school hour, um, we'll have some slides to show you about uh, the ministry in, in the Middle East, um, in Jordan, the country of Jordan, which is just across the Jordan River from Israel. We're just about 70 miles from Jerusalem. That's where we're at. Right in the, in the thick of things. <laughs> and just to tell you a little bit about myself, those of you who have do not know me. I, I came to know Christ as a college student at the University of California, San Diego, through the ministry of, of what it was called then Camps Crusade for Christ, Crew today. And it was there that I, it was through the ministry, the, uh, the witness of a fellow student who uh, came and shared the gospel with me, and I befriended him, and my my life changed completely. It was an overnight powerful conversion, and then he continued, Lee continued to disciple me and show me how to share my faith, and I grew in this knowledge of the scripture, and then to go out and do what he did with me, share Christ with others, and win them, and jo- form a Bible study. By the time I finished college, I, I uh, had a calling to serve the Lord back in my country, which I've been doing uh, since then. Uh, after I joined Camp Crusade for Christ staff in 1977, Went back to Jordan. Had a great ministry of sharing the gospel with many. Got in trouble for it because it's illegal to witness to Muslims. I'm not from a Muslim background, by the way. I'll explain that later in the second hour. Um, it was there that I met my wife, Julia. And I threw a, a ser- uh, about five years of turmoil because, you know, trying to share the gospel was difficult 
in a difficult situation, um, felt the need for training, came back to this country for eight years of seminary ex uh, training, full-time at Dallas Theological, finished in 1990 to go back and start JETS, the seminary, uh, Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary, which is now in its 32nd year. And we have graduates in 21 countries of the Arabic countries of the Middle East and North Africa. And we're just very thankful for that. We live in Amman, Jordan. We have three sons and three grandchildren. Okay. Now we're, we'll go to the, to the exposition. I'm going to share from the letter of Paul to the Colossians, uh, chapter 1. And verses 24 to 29. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. And I will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. <coughs> Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been manifested to saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? We proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with every wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. This is the word of God. Now, um, you know, as, as we all know, the world, the world is in turmoil. Politically, economically, socially, and mostly morally. It's really tough. And some see increasing resemblance to the tribulation coming up. The unprecedented tribulation. And they, a lot of people wonder, if are we... Should we start countdown <laughs> to the Lord's return? That's another story. <laughs> um, the question is, what, what would keep us going through dark times like this? What keeps us going? Uh, to what keeps us worshiping? What keeps us belonging to a church body? What keeps us singing? <laughs> what keeps us sharing our faith? What keeps us hopeful? What keeps us going in the midst of great odds, you know, great difficulty? Everywhere we turn, it's a challenge. What keeps us steadfast? You know, that's, the, that's the question. This, uh, this book of Colossians, really, you can divide it into three parts. The first part is about the, the uniqueness of the person of Christ. The second part is the, the position of the body of Christ, so from the person of Christ to the body of Christ, the church, and then the practice of the life of Christ, the practical expression. So Paul begins in this uh, letter by thanking God for 
the Colossians' faith in the gospel. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that they would walk accordingly. And by knowing his will, they would walk accordingly and, 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 and be fruitful on, that, on the basis of what God has done through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, which we sang about so beautifully a while ago. Um, and reminds them of th that this was done through the unique Christ, <laughs> who is the image of God, the agent and sustainer of creation, head of the church, first from the dead, indwelt with all deity, achieving reconciliation between God and man, and seeking all of humanity. Obviously, Paul is concerned, he's burdened to share the gospel for the, with the whole world, and that's his, his heart. This is written down for us in, in the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God that speaks to us today. comes down to us. <coughs> now, in this, in this text we just read, I believe there are three principles in this, uh, in this portion of Scripture that guide us to answer this question. How can we stay with it? How can we stay steadfast? And I believe uh, the first thing uh, it, this text shows us that... Uh, we are indeed called to share in his pain. We are called to share in his pain. Now, it says it this way, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Okay. Now that word uh, afflictions is never used to refer to the, the sufferings of Christ on the cross. The sufferings of Christ on the cross, it's a different word. It's complete. His suffering is complete. It's done. We're, we have salvation on that completed work of Christ. This is talking about a different kind of Suffering. It's really, to be specific, it's suffering for the church, his body. Christ, in a way, is hurting for the state of the church on earth. You know, remember uh, when uh, Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church, the Lord appeared to him on his way to Damascus, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? So Christ saw the suffering of the church as his own suffering. You, know, we, uh, you can translate it, uh, one, uh, literally it says, I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. So Christ has afflictions on behalf of the, the church. Uh, we... Uh, in a way, in, in a sense, okay, here, here's Christ's afflictions up to this point, you know, but they're, but they're lacking. So he's asking us to fulfill that lack. Uh, that sounds like a call to share in his suffering for the church. Uh, and it's much like, uh, here's an example of Moses in, in Hebrews 11:24. It says this, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Then in Hebrews 13, 14, it says, let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. See? Um, you know, in, in the words of Christ, it's much like when he says to us, 
If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's just joining him and the suffering and, and a different kind of suffering. Uh, so, um, and, you know, we, we see that actually throughout the New Testament, this sense of suffering with Christ. Now, the, uh, re- there's a real reality in which the church suff- is suffering. You know, in the context of the book of Colossians itself, it talks about the struggle so that believers' hearts are knit together. There's a, that, s- that struggle to be knit together. This is in, in chapter 2. Again, in chapter 2, there's this struggle for the assurance of understanding. We're all struggling to grow and be more secure in our faith. There's, the, um, that there's a struggle in face of all deception. There's the issue of, of human thinking, philosophy, evil powers surrounding us, surrounding us, legalism, asceticism, all these forces. This is also in chapter 2. There's all forms of sin, lust, and broken relationships in chapter 3. You know, um, maintaining whole marriages and homes in chapter 3 also. Um, believers and churches supporting one another, chapter 4. All these s- struggles, you know, the church, the believers are struggling, suffering. And then proclaiming the gospel to the world and all that, that presents, all the challenges that pre- presents. We have a actually sobering picture of this in the Lord's letters to, to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. It's amazing. In, act, in fact, uh, you know, he begins each letter by saying, this is uh, the word of Christ. He gives himself some titles and introduces himself to the church of, for example, Ephesus, Pergamos, you know, Smyrna. But he ends every church, uh, every letter, with the words, he who has an ear to hear, he, has an e- he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, plural. So what Christ says to each church, the Holy Spirit is saying to all of the churches of all time, of all places. And what does he say to the churches? You know, there's, uh, there's um, not all churches are doing well. Actually, five of the seven are rebuked. Five of the seven churches are rebuked. I have this against you, he says. And what he shares with them, there's a, uh, uh, he describes them as, as having more, uh, more concern with knowledge than with love. That's one problem. As mixing what is holy with what is unholy. As compromising with sin and with truth, doctrine. Being dead, though appearing alive, lots of activity. Appearing alive, but really dead. This is Christ's words to the churches. Lack of awareness of its spiritual need. It goes on like this. And we see Christ seeking, continually giving, and giving second chances, pleading, pursuing. Sometimes pictured as, as standing outside a door, uh, outside the church, at the door of the church, seeking to come in. It's kind of a very sad picture, you know. So what this is saying is Christ is hurting for the church. So Paul says, I'm called to join in with what he's doing. And he says, I rejoice in this. In other words, he draws strength from it. You know, gives him steadfastness to keep going. 
You know, it's tough. It really is tough. But he's been there before us. He's hurting before us. He's hurting more than us. And he's calling us to join his hurt, his pain. I don't know about you, but this is, this is encouraging. Gives me, mm, what an honor to, to join him. Wherever we are, you know, we have, we have challenges here in these United States. We have challenges of a different kind in the Middle East. How much time do you have? <laughs> There's so much. It's same but different in kind, but it's the same calling. As his, as his followers, we are called to share in that, in that pain that he feels for the church. Though his suffering for the church on the cross is completely finished, based on that, we draw our strength, but then we hurt for today. So, we're called to share in his, in his pain. You may ask, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to, to join that calling? Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> um, of course it's worth it. Because he goes on to say in this, in this passage that not only are we called to share in his pain, we are also called to share in his plan. He's got a plan. He's moving ahead with a specific plan. And my, the words are rich here. You, you stop and read it over and over again. It's so rich. He says, it says this, um, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your behalf. First of all, it's a, it's a stewardship. So Paul says, I've been given a stewardship from God. Um, it's a, it's a, um, a, this speaks of a plan, something he's entrusted me with, and it's literally according to a plan, according to God. It's something according to him, from him. It's a plan he's moving forward with. Uh, according to the stewardship from God. And it's a, a transferable thing, you know, so I've been given this, made a minister according to the stewardship, bestowed on me for your benefit. So he takes what he gets from the Lord, gives it, gives it to Epaphras, the servant of the church, and then to the church, and then from that church to other churches, and from that century to this century. It's a plan from God. You know, and actually, as we're called to share in his plan, whatever he is doing, we have to be careful. Oftentimes we say, I've got this plan and this vision to fulfill, and I'm asking God to help me fulfill it. It's really the other way around. He has the plan, and he has the vision. He's got it all laid out, and he's asking us to join him in whatever he is doing. So we need to find out where he's working and join that work. So we're called to share in his plan. And then it's, it, it goes on from, a, from a, uh, the concept of stewardship for a plan of God. Then it goes on to, this, this, that to show that this plan, this plan is centered in his word. It goes on to say, so that I, might, I may fully carry out, or actually literally I may fulfill 
the word of God. So I've been given this plan to fulfill the word of God. It's never outside the word of God. It's always the word of God. You know, as it came down to us, you know, God speaking over 1,600 years through the prophets and apostles, and all came, was joined in this book that was handed down to us most accurately, amazingly accurately, protected by him. And here today we have the actual word of God. And he says, uh, if you want to think correctly, you've got to be careful. It's okay to, to hear what people think and the philosophies of man and compare this view with that view. But in the end, you come back to here. And you say, thus saith the Lord. This is what God is doing throughout history. He's speaking continually. Understand it. He says, I've been giving this stewardship, which is according to his plan, but this plan is according to this consistent word of God that's inerrant, uh, speaks authoritatively, is alive, accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Listen to that word. <laughs> okay. And... But then he goes on to say to share. I, I, it's again, it's so rich. Says, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me to fulfill the word of God. That is, then he introduces the concept of a mystery. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to be to make known. You know, a mystery. Uh, is where originally it's, it's a, the word in the original is musterion, where we get the English word mystery. It refers to something that was not known fully or was not known at all, but is now known. Notice the progression here. It says, the mystery which has been hidden from the past now has been manifested, revealed. Not only that, but God desires to reveal it, but, uh, but whom, to whom God willed to make it known. He desires to make it known. So there's this mystery which also says that some people can, can read the content of this mystery but the word mystery says to each one of us that two people can come to church, read the same text, one person understands it, the other doesn't. One person sees the enormous richness of it and the other person doesn't. There's a mystery here. Watch out and make sure you understand it. So it's a stewardship according to a plan Immerse in the word of God, and the heart of this word is a mystery. And, um, and he desires for you to understand it. You know, every time you come to church, he even calls the church a mystery. Calls the meeting of the local church something that's, something happens when we meet together in person. Maybe on Zoom, partly, temporarily. <laughs> But when we meet together, something happens. Christ is here. He's walking in the midst of the lampstands, the churches. And he calls us, and he calls the pastors, the leaders, stars, angels. Calls the churches lampstands. In the midst of it, he calls it a mystery. He's right there. He's, he's here. And that's where we meet with the, with the Savior. And something happens. He speaks to us. Some people see it. Some people don't. It's not just a social gathering. It's a meeting of heaven with earth. He speaks to us where we are. But then he continues. Again, the richness of this portion of scripture. 
What is the mystery? The mystery is engulfed in glory. He says, um, which is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the nations. Which this, it's glory. Um, the, glory, the word glory speaks, first of all, of beauty. Speaks of perfection. Speaks of necessity or in, unavoidability. Yeah. In, inevitability. It's got to be. You know, the word glory in, in, the, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is the word um, the word for um, Kavod, it's kavod in, 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 in the Old Testament, which means, uh, actually literal, uh, literally it means liver, the liver. The liver is the center of the body and it's most heavy. So when you, when you glorify God, you, you liver him. You make him most central or most heavy. You know, think of it as a rock in the midst of a, of a river. The rock stays there and the water goes around the rock because the rock is heavier. He is the heavy one. Everything depends on him. Don't we dare think that something else can take his place? I mean, if, elect- if electricity goes out, we go crazy. We can't live. How much more the God of the universe if he's not in the center of life? Goodness, everything just disintegrates. So he talks about this, this stewardship according to a plan, immersed in his word. You know, it's a mystery that you need to see, engulfed in glory. And it's focusing more and more. Now it comes to this, oh, which is, here it, here it is, the all of God, all of his plans, all of his purposes, center right here. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right there. My goodness. If you want to know God, this is where it is. And actually, um, he, in its in expression, he skips over a lot of theology. So he, he assumes uh, that we've been justified by what he has done on the cross for us. We've been clothed with his righteousness. And because of that, we are regenerated. We have a new nature. We have a new spirit, a new nature. But then his spirit also, capital S, lives within us. And then all of that prepares us for glory. We've got eternity planted in our hearts. So he says Christ, in the midst of nations, is really finally concentrated in Christ. in Christ, in you, individually. He is in us right now. That's his plan for each person. So he's calling us to join this plan. I tell you what, there's no higher calling. There's no higher profession. You know, no higher privilege. He's calling us to share in his pain because he's calling us to share in this plan. Greatest plan <laughs> in history. He's calling us to, to share Actually, we have in the center of the, the Jets campus, as you, as you walk in, there's a prayer tower. And in, 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 engraved in the stones of the tower is this, these words in Greek, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a summary of what we're all about. So we're, we're called to share in his pain because we're called to share in his plan. When you think of the greatness of what you've been called to, it makes pain worth it. It makes the suffering worth it when it comes. Finally, you may ask, well, 
I, I just don't have what it takes. I don't have the strength to understand all of this. You know, um, I don't have what it takes to, to serve him. And that's a good, good question. You know, you may say it's too difficult. Well, there's one more. We're called to share in his pain, yes, because we're called to share in his plan, but we're also called to share in his very power. In his power. He goes on to say, we proclaim him. Admonishing, notice the words every. We, we, procl- we proclaim him admonishing every person and teaching every person with every wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. That word every spells power. So in other words, this gospel that I'm proclaiming has the power to take any person and every person when they believe from any station where they are, no matter what color, what background, what education, what intellect they have, etc. He can take any person to the to the to full maturity in Christ. That's the power of the gospel. Fill a person with changing them radically, completely, and we can all sh- share about this. All of us have seen this. We've experienced this. Th- like some of the songs here, it's taken us from the depths of despondency and lostness and sin and transformed us. Oh my. That's the power. That's the power. And then he continues, he says, um, for this purpose also I labor, what's the word? I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. My goodness. Actually, there's a three, di- three different expressions of power here. You may, um, you may translate it this way. His power inflamed in activity within me with supernatural strength. Just one word after the other, others, spelling dynamite. <laughs> you know. And that's what he's calling us to. See, Christ is not absent. He's here. With us individually, with us as a church, as a local church, he's here. And he's correcting, proclaiming every man Uh, He says, um, uh, admonishing, that's correcting. And then teaching, that's presenting the truth. Cleaning out the wrong and presenting with truth. And always clearing out what's error, what's wrong, what's sinful. And then inserting truth and holiness. That's his work. He's here doing this all the time. So here Paul says, you know, I'm depending on his power. But it doesn't mean he's lazy. He doesn't serve him half-heartedly. He's fully engaged his all, with all of his strength, all of his mind, all of his inter- everything he's got. So he's totally dependent on Christ, but also he's not idle. He's, a, he's moving because he knows, yeah, he's not, he knows he's got the power. He's not half wor- serving half-heartedly, neither is he anxious, and, and so on. You know, all of this, all of it springs from the cross that we sang about, which the letter of Colossians begins with, continue in the midst of talking about the cross in different ways because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which we previously heard, and the word of the truth, the gospel, you know, 
has has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transformed, trans, transferred us to, to the kingdom of his beloved son. On and on, all that power of the cross. He comes to this. He says, now I've been called to share in his pain, his plan, and his power. Um, so, will he steadfastness to stay with it, to stay on course, and facing great odds and difficulties of all kinds, they stem from a realization that we are called to share in his pain, his plan, and his power. And that all comes from the power of the cross by faith. You know, it's been uh, uh, Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary, father of missions, said one time this. He says, referring to God's work in us individually as and corporately. He says this, every great work for God is at first impossible, then difficult, but then done. Every great work for God is at first impossible. Then if we stay with it, if we stay steadfast, that impossibility becomes a difficulty. And that difficulty transfers into accomplishment. It's done. But we've got to stay there. Hang in there with the living Savior. To him alone be the glory. May I pray with you for a minute? Please. Let's lift up our heads and pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Help us live this. Help us live from there. And serve from there. Live from there and serve from there. Sharing in your pain, your plan, your power. In Jesus' name.